Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 41. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the very big nutritional differences between cats and dogs and how you need to be feeding your cat differently to both prevent and treat disease. Kidney failure in pets. You should be focused on this one ingredient and it's not protein. Ringworm, what it is and how to best naturally treat it at home. Holistic options for wounds and lacerations. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. Once again, go to Stitcher and search for Veterinary Secrets. If you've yet to do so, I'd encourage you to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. Lastly, and if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Cats and nutrition. A diet is the key to the health of you, your dog, your cat. What you feed your cat can help your pet avoid many serious illnesses. Much of what I, as a practicing veterinarian, was originally taught about feeding cats, both for the prevention and treatment of disease, has been shown to be false. The basis for this is that many experts have thought of cats with respect to nutrition and how they respond to treatment of various diseases as small dogs, when this is completely untrue. What are some of these differences? Well, to start with, cats are obligate carnivores, meaning they need animal protein to survive. And many of the common cat diseases, which I'm going to be discussing later, they're directly linked to our incorrect assumptions of feeding cats the same way we feed dogs. Most cats are fed these three things. One, dry kibble with no water. Two, foods with far too high of a carbohydrate level. Three, the wrong type of protein at too low a level. Cats are unique in so many ways, very different from dogs. Yet in today's modern world, that's not how we're treating them. Once again, cats are obligate carnivores. You've heard this, but what does it mean? Well, cats have evolved over millions of years into carnivores with unique ways to utilize the food they hunt, including the protein, fats, and vitamins in their prey. Think about what a cat would eat in the wild. Lots of protein and fat, virtually no carbohydrate. They hunt mice, birds, etc. This core concept should be at the forefront of cat nutrition and disease. What about our unhealthy cats? You know, if you've read or heard any of the things that I've said in the past about cat health, you know that I've spoken time and time again about just how unhealthy I think our pet population is. You know, I've seen and continue to see more and more disease you know, than when I started in my original veterinary practice. More allergies, more skin and gum disease, arthritis, kidney problems, urinary tract disease, diabetes, liver disease. Potentially there are many reasons for this, but no question, in my opinion, the single biggest factor that is adversely affecting the health of our cats overall is food. Feeding a natural, healthy diet is one of, if not the single most important change that you as a pet owner can make for the long-term health of your cat. So what are we feeding our cats? Up to relatively recent times, you know, cats survived in animals that they hunted. They seldom drank water as most of their moisture came from their prey. Our modern domesticated cats now eat exclusively what we feed them, ready-to-eat packaged foods, and in many cases, it really is harming our pets. No question, commercial pet food does not always provide all the nutrients that cats need to be healthy at different times in their lives. Much of it contains nothing more than sheep grains, you know, such as starch, corn, byproducts, meat, chicken byproducts, fillers, chemical additives and preservatives, and in some cases even toxins. And even if your pet's food doesn't contain contaminants, it does not necessarily contain everything that your cat needs to stay healthy. More than likely, it contains just what pets need to get by. For the majority of commercial pet foods, the main ingredients 
ingredients are typically grain and fat, essentially just filler. Really, they contain very little of the vitamins and minerals that actually make your cat thrive. You know, grains have become prevalent because the high carbohydrate content provides cheap calories. Animal protein costs food manufacturers much more, so to cut costs, they've increased the amount of grain. In addition, grain assists in binding ingredients together, makes it easier to form kibble or dry food. There are some companies out there that make pet food that doesn't really even meet the recommended daily allowances of vitamins and minerals. But remember, these recommendations were created by the same industry that creates and profits from the food itself. And in my professional medical opinion, most aren't enough to keep your pet from becoming sick. Fortunately, more and more companies are aware of the problems commercial pet food has caused, and we now are starting to see an increase in the number of very high-quality pet foods available. But even though that needs to be considered with caution, you know, and just think about the pet food recall and what happened in that case. So a couple of other key points I want to leave you with before we go on to the next topic in today's podcast. The first big thing, one, I want you to be looking at the ingredient list of whatever food you're feeding your cat. So look at the bag, look and see what it says. You want to see an animal, a quality animal protein in the first two ingredients. So you want to see beef, chicken, fish, venison not byproduct chicken meal is okay meat meal fish meal is not so you want to set the c as one of those are the first two ingredients the second thing you see far less carbohydrates definitely you don't want to see corn you don't want to see soy soy itself has been linked to hyperthyroid disease in cats so you don't want to see those as sources listed on the, in the bag of your cat's food next you want to feed far less of the dry kibble you want to feed much more canned food and so that's my next big tip is that you were trying to feed your cat much closely resembling what they would be eating in the wild so far more canned far less dry and when we're going to feeding that canned food, um, you're going to look at the ingredient label once again and make sure that it, it is free from the byproducts and it includes the quality protein that it's that is one what your cat needs because he's an omelette carnivore, but two contains ingredients, nutrients that are actually going to help him have have him thrive, not just survive. So there's a, a couple of sort of simple basic tips, and the last big thing in terms of tying those all together is really trying to avoid some of the really obvious things that we know is not healthy for a cat. So avoid the artificial artificial colors, avoid the artificial preservatives such as BHA, BHT, ethoxyquin. Three, and just ensure, and I'm reiterating the same point once again, that your cat is an obligate carnivore. He needs the animal protein to thrive and just survive, not like a plant-based protein. So for instance, we know that the cat's minimum adult minimum protein requirement is 35%. So you might look at a bag of food and it says, oh, there's 42% protein. When you actually look at it and look at it once again, it may mean that 30% of that protein is a plant-based protein, which your cat is not designed to digest. And the last thing I want to leave you with is the importance of really decreasing the amount of carbohydrates in your cat's diet because we know that's directly linked to diseases such as diabetes such as obesity and by doing that by decreasing those carbohydrates it's such a positive health impact on your cat itself so i hope with all those different things and what i've said and in amongst my ramblings i that is helping you but really 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 i want to reiterate can make such a big difference in the health of your cat the next section of today's podcast, kidney filling your pets, you should be focused on lowering this one ingredient and it's not protein. So what are some of the signs? Your cat is drinking more water and urinating more often. Your pet may be losing weight, specifically loss of muscle mass, as the kidneys lose protein. As kidney failure advances, your pet may become weak due to anemia. 
So what's happening is there's a decreased appetite to a buildup of toxins in the bloodstream. They're called urea and creatinine. In advanced cases, your cat will become dehydrated and completely anorexic, not eating. In some pets, kidney disease can cause elevated blood pressure, which may affect their eyesight. If your cat has kidney failure, most veterinarians will advise that your cat is placed on a low-protein diet. Yet to date, there are no studies showing that restricting protein will prevent further deterioration of kidney function. In fact, many veterinary cat specialists are now advising not to restrict protein. They are advising to maintain protein levels and restrict phosphorus because that is a nutrient that's a specific nutrient in animal protein that is damaging the kidneys. Fluid. The most important thing you can do for your pet with renal failure is maintain adequate hydration. Offer lots of fresh water. If your cat is not a great water drinker, make the switch to canned food. Have your veterinarian show you how to give fluids. It's called subcutaneous fluids or subcube fluids. And if you're still not comfortable with that, you can go ahead and watch my video on how to give subcube fluids. I have many clients at home just giving this once a week. Hugely beneficial for their cats with renal failure. Probiotics. Azodil is a natural probiotic which metabolizes and flushes out uremic toxins in the bowel. They help slow uremic toxin buildup in the blood and helps prevent further kidney damage. The azodil dose is one capsule per 10 pounds daily to a maximum of four capsules per day. Phosphorus reduction, which we talked about earlier. In the early stages of kidney disease, the single biggest mineral which damages the kidneys is phosphorus. This mineral speeds up destruction of the remaining kidney cells. So you want to be feeding a diet lower in phosphorus and using phosphorus binders. So here's a couple to think of. One is called AL. OH or aluminum hydroxide. It's a phosphorus binder. It's odorless and tasteless and can be mixed with food. It must be administered with food. The dose is a quarter of a teaspoon per 10 pounds daily. The generic aluminum hydroxide gel powder can be ordered online at thrivingpets.com. Add some Tums. Once again, talking about phosphorus binder and the high phosphorus levels, is that you can actually use calcium carbonate or Tums. The dose of that is a quarter of a tablet, that's a, a quarter of a 650 milligram tablet for 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Now I want to discuss ringworm. So what is it? I mean, your pet, typically your cat, is going to have areas of hair loss that are not itchy. They're circular, they can be crusty scabs that are spreading. And often we're seeing it in kittens or these young cats that are slightly immunosuppressed or they're having developing immune systems. And typically it's contagious. So they've got it from an typically another cat. It's not a worm. It's a fungus that lives in the hair follicles. It is often a cause of a earlier hair loss in young cats with suppressed immune systems. It's highly contagious not just to other pets but also to people. So if you suspect it, it's really important that you're treating your pet before it either passes to you or another animal in your household. So what can you do at home? First, you need to be wanting to trim the hair around the affected area. It's going to slow the spread of the ringworm and allow topical medication to be more effective. And you just want to make sure you disinfect um, those clipper blades after with something like bleach. Topical antiseptic drugs, scrubs, hibitane, um, it's known by the brand, the name of the drug is actually chlorhexidine. It's a very effective topical antiseptic, useful in cleaning the affected area. You can purchase it at any pharmacy, washing the area twice daily. Acetic acid, although it smells bad, and vinegar is the, what it is. Although it smells bad, it really is an effective anti antifungal treatment. You can wipe the affected area twice daily. Some holistic practitioners find apple cider vinegar to be slightly more effective. Don't forget about the environment. You don't forget to clean the areas of your house. You're going to harbor the spores and potentially reinfect your pet. Wipe counters and floors with beet bleach. Vacuum the house well. I mean, after you've done that vacuuming, throw that vacuum bag out. Bleach your pet's bedding. Um, here's a, another option, a conventional one to consider that is relatively safe. If your cat is considered a carrier or has generalized ringworm, ask your veterinarian about using, is a, is the medication name is called Lufanron, also sold on the brand name Program. 
as a treatment as opposed to the more toxic medication, fulvacin. Reishi mushrooms. Ringworm often occurs in pets with depressed immune systems. Reishi mushrooms are an effective immune stimulant. The dose is one drop per pound of body weight twice daily of the tincture. A couple of herbs I want to mention. One, the neem. It's a herb called Azaracodactyna indica with antifungal and antiseptic properties. The tincture can be applied topically twice daily to speed up healing. Ginseng is a popular immune stimulant. We're looking at a dose of 30 milligrams per pound of the dried herb twice daily, or one drop per pound twice daily of the tincture. There's a homeopathic called pulsatilla. It's effective in cases of immunosuppression. The dose is 30C every four to six hours for two to three days. And the last thing I want to mention is the use of the essential oils. Um, there's a couple ones in particular. Probably the most important one is tea tree oil or melaleuca. So we know it can be used in a diluted form to one to two percent, and that and it has been shown to be effective against ringworm. The big concern with our cats is the essential oils are also fairly toxic if our cats ingest them. So if you are to apply, you know, tea tree in a diluted form, so you're going to take something like five, five to ten drops. Typically, I would be putting ten drops of melaleuca and two tablespoons of a carrier oil, such as olive oil or coconut oil, and then I would be putting that on twice daily to the affected area. But I want to make sure my cat's unable to lick it. So if it was on the face or in the neck, then I'd be putting on some time some type of a little collar. So an e-collar, so my cat can't use his paw and lick it because I don't want him to be ingesting it. And let's get on to the last section of today's podcast. And on it, we're going to talk about wounds and lacerations. Many things can cause injuries to your pet. You know, dog and cat fights can lead to large wounds. There could be a pad laceration, you know, something on the ground. And we have different animals that are more, are less risk averse, more risk averse in terms of they're happy to take risk and they fly fly themselves into trees, you name it. You probably know your dog if you have one or a cat and they're more likely to get themselves injured. First, know when to see your veterinarian. Large wounds or cuts will need to be sutured. If there's excessive bleeding or signs of shock, such as pale gums and rapid breathing, you want to be seeing your veterinarian immediately. Deep puncture wounds, especially punctures by large dogs biting small dogs on the chest or the belly. In those cases, it really is best to have a professional determine the severity of the wound and treat it appropriately. <clears throat> Slow the flow. If the wound is bleeding, the first thing you need to do is stop the bleeding. Apply firm pressure over the wound with a clean cloth or towel and hold it for five minutes. If the bleeding persists, call your veterinarian immediately. In in most cases, it's going to stop fairly quick. You also can cover it, apply a thin layer of water-soluble jelly on top of the wound. KY jelly works great for this. This will prevent further hair or debris from getting into it. You want to trim the hair, so barber time, you want to trim the hair around the wound or the bite wound. Trim large sections of the scissors and you can be really careful and use a small disposable razor to trim the hair right next to the skin. Clearly, keeping it clean is key. You know, If possible, put your pet in the sink or the bath. Run lukewarm tap water on the wound for five minutes. If there appears to be a lot of dirt or debris in the wound, or if the wound is more than 24 hours old, assume it's infected. Purchase, purchase an antiseptic soap, such as Hibidane, the one we talked about with ringworm, available at your local pharmacy, and wash the area well. And if it's a soapy-based scrub, you want to apply it first, rub it in really well, and then run that water on it for a good five minutes to really wash the antiseptic soap out and also secondary clean the wound. Keep the wound clean and you could perform this type of hydrotherapy twice daily for five to seven days. When not to lick and when to lick. For bite wounds or wounds to heal, once once they've gone past the infected stage and they're no longer infected, then we want to the cover up. We want them to close in. And to just, so after the first three days in particular, then you want, don't want your dog to keep licking them, your cat to keep licking it. So you can do something like purchase some type of e-collar or something like that to prevent your pet from licking. You can apply a bad tasting product such as bitter apple to the skin around the wound. In some cases, 
because that's going to determine enough pets from licking it. Colloidal silver. I've had clients in the past, they, tell, they told me about successively using colloidal silver to heal their pet's wounds, along with other diseases such as cancer. It's a liquid suspension of minute particles of silver. You can get it at natural health food stores and pharmacies. The dose is a half a teaspoon per 10 pounds twice daily. And a couple of herbs I wanted to mention. One is golden seal. It's a traditional topical antimicrobial herb. You can apply drops from the tincture twice daily until the wound has healed. Oil of oregano, it can be applied in a diluted form. And this is where you're going to, once again, do 2 to 3% dilution. You're going to do 10 to 15 drops of oregano in a carrier oil, you know, such as olive oil, two tablespoons of olive oil, and then you can apply that topically twice daily. Oregon grape, it's another topical anti-inflammatory. So you can get it as a tincture, and it's one it's sort of a replacement for golden seal, which is being harder and harder to get. So it's, a, it's another pretty key antimicrobial um, herb that you can use. Get it in tincture form and you can apply that tincture topically to the wound twice daily. There's a, a couple different homeopathics. One is called Parsulf. The other one is called Silesia. They're both pretty important ones for when anytime I'm thinking of an infected wound or an abscess. In both cases, we're looking at a dose of 30C for both of these homeopathics. One Silesia, one Aparsolf, 30, one 30C capsule per 10 pound to 20 pounds of body weight, given twice daily for three to five days. And the last uh, remedy I want to discuss is the use of honey, which I've discussed in the past. But in particular, any time you we want to be using the therapeutic type honey, so the darker the honey, the better. And any wound can have honey applied to it. Typically, it's going, what the honey is going to do, it's going to, it's antimicrobial, so it can help deal with that bacteria that's present. And secondly, too, it's going to provide the right nutrients that your body wants to actually help speed up wound healing. So an example of using it would be first directly onto that infected cat abscess you're putting on the honey, and that's where you can get rid of the bacteria that are present. Then secondary too, then we can actually get some of the healing cells to be moving in there to actually close up that skin. So of all the different remedies you're hearing for this, and if you've never thought of it or never tried it, I encourage you to think of using honey the next time your dog or cat has a wound. So thanks again, you guys, for listening to today's podcast. This is Dr. Andrew Jones. If you have any questions, any thoughts on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can either post a comment on after this podcast on the blog at the Internet Pet Vet, or after that, you can send me an email, and that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Once again, thanks for listening. I look forward to talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Andrew Jones.